Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, June 13th of 2023, where two laypersons, a pastor, and an academician gather for about 45 minutes each week to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday. The Sunday text we're discussing is for June 18th, 2023. Each Tuesday, we call in from wherever we may be at 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time to participate, and we're pleased to have our colleague and long, faithful podcast participant, Bill Hall, back from some vacation with us. After a few weeks, and it's good to have you back, Bill. You were missed, and we hope to update you on our other seminarian, pastor partner, Charles Willard, soon. Our team is working to be faithful to year A, and that puts us in the Gospel of Matthew, and we hope the discussion will provide areas of focus and reflection. Here's how it works. We develop perspectives independently after the lead-off person shares some formative questions, and then in this virtual discussion, we share, encourage, and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us in today's discussion. Sarah Mickelson from Tampa. Bill Hope back in St. Petersburg, Florida. You see, Bill, I'm Don Upton, and I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, to do penance for his four weeks away from the podcast, <laughs> we're making Bill handle the questions in the scripture reading today. So, Bill, we're glad you're back, and, and you've got work to do. It's good to see you, my friend. Good to be back. Uh, good to work with Don and Sarah again. And I uh, express my appreciation to the staff at Palmasia who uh, filled in. Uh, I listened to all four of them. Well done, John Debevois, Nicole Abdenour, and John Ryder. Uh, it was good to hear their perspectives. And it's good to be back. Just a quick word. I was My wife and I were away for three weeks The worst part was the last two weeks, we were in a slightly remote cabin by a small river in the western North Carolina in the mountains in the Franklin area, no Wi-Fi. So all I could do was eat, sleep, read, and hike. Terrible two weeks. (laughs) To be able to read for hours was quite a blessing. And... I could go into town and briefly get Wi-Fi, but living without Wi-Fi for two weeks was in and of itself uh, a spiritual discipline. Our passage for today is continuing from Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. We're going to read through chapter 10, verse 23. Some versions of this, and among our listeners, uh, you may be in a church that stops at verse 8 of chapter 10. But we're reading 9.35 through 10.1-23. And I've asked my colleagues to join with me in reading the various portions of this. And I will begin. This is the word of the Lord. Let us listen. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits 
to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and in no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You've received without payment, give without payment. Take no gold, no silver or copper in your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff. For laborers deserve their food. For every town or village you enter, find out who is in it is worthy and stay there until you leave. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or let your word shake off the dust from their feet as you leave that house or town. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. See, I am sending you out like sheep into the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. Beware of them, for they will hand you over to councils and plug you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings because of me, as a testimony to them and the Gentiles. When they hand you over, do not worry about how you are to speak or what you are to say, or what you are to say will be given to you at that time. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will portray brother to death, and a father his child and children will rise against parents, and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I tell you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, colleagues. Now, uh, contrary to our usual custom, I did not send in advance um, three focused questions. Instead, I encouraged my colleagues to reflect on two terms uh, from this passage in two successive Verses. Matthew records Jesus referring to the twelve as disciples twice and apostles once. By the way, this use of apostles in Matthew is the only occurrence in Matthew of that word. It's used in other places, other gospels and letters. Let me reread those quickly. Then Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. Then in verse 2, these are the names of the 12 apostles. Now, Luke uh, 
conflates that in chapter 6 in 1 verse 13. When, and when they came, Jesus called his disciples and chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. So Matthew and Luke both closely juxtapose Jesus using two different words in Greek, uh, two different descriptions. Some brief background, and part of my uh, reason for not giving questions to my colleagues, but asking them to reflect on these two terms, disciples and apostles, is I want to hear where they went with that without um, my focusing three questions. So I'm excited to hear from disciples in Greek means a learner, a pupil, and also the word disciple. The focus is on one who learns. Apostles, and by the way, the Greek word is apostolos, so we transliterate that Greek word. Interestingly, in classical Greek, it could be used to refer to a ship prepared for departure. I I didn't know that before. I found that in one of my resources, a ship prepared for departure. So apostle means, there's a string of words, a delegate, a messenger, an ambassador. The root meaning is one sent forth with authority, with orders. Now, it specifically in Scripture refers to the uh, the apostles of Christ, but other people in Scripture are called apostles. There were 12 original disciples. There were, and I believe all of us as disciples are also apostles. So, Two somewhat different means. A student, one now prepared and sent for. We're going to begin with disciple. And Sarah, I'm going to go to you first. Share with me what came to your mind about that word in this text and in Scripture and in your own personal faith journey. If the intent is to have more laborers, for the harvest. Would that we all would be sent and, um, and, and learning on the way. So I think that, that we're all called to work in the fields of the Lord. Um, I, I did also, you know, I asked Google, Google, what's the difference between an apostle and a disciple? And uh, and that led to some very dark discoveries of um, restrictive languages and restriction of roles and identification of who was able to do each of these jobs. And so I felt like maybe that was the wrong path to take um, because it felt like it wasn't feeding the gospel in the sense of looking for more laborers. So with that word of caution... Um, the language, some of the beautiful stories that I uncovered in the commentary, David Ewert from his, um, I guess it's a blog called Holy Textures, um, suggested that apostles and disciples are people who live as itinerants. And I'm a descendant of an itinerant, 
and um, people that live off the land and move from place to place as the crops would present themselves. So I found it very um, comforting to say that Jesus is preparing these these believers, these these students, these um, that are going to be sent forth to to be itinerants, to travel from place to place, to carry nothing with them that would burden their work, um, but also to be prepared for rejection, to be prepared for acceptance and what to do in, in each of those situations. Um, I think this is going to be challenging to the learner because they're going to be asked to reach out to people that look differently from them, that might believe differently from them. Um, and I think it'll be difficult for the the people they reach to for the same reasons. You're from Galilee, and we're not. You're from this part of the world, and we're not. So I think there's that sense of separation and what brings people together. So I think that there's um, this conversation about seeing people as Jesus would see them, so as sheep looking for shepherds, in need of a shepherd, um, and that the Lord of the harvest is the one that sends them forth. And no matter what happens, the harvest is God's. So I, I think there's some really strong, interesting ex- words of acceptance here, to be accepting of help and on how to respond to rejection and um, and that sometimes the best and only way to speak to those people in power is to be arrested, which is an interesting pres- supposition here. Um, I, I liked. I'll, I'll just leave it with that and come back to the other pieces of the puzzle that, um, as we as we get to those, I guess the dialogue. Does that help? Yes, thank you, Sarah. Helpful, Don. Disciples. Learner, student, people, uh, your your thoughts. Well, that's the starting with disciples is the safe path. So I'm glad you started with disciples because it's uh, yes, learning and uh, seeing. And I think there's a seeking here. You're seeking out places. You're seek you're seeking, and I think there's a call for listening and being present in your own time. Uh, you know, we're looking at this two thousand years. I think. These are people in a particular time, in a particular place, walking into particular communities with particular cultures and particular pressures and particular individuals with particular problems. And you have to be aware. And I think discipleship is so vested in the current and what's happening, especially through the letters, that it gives me um, – it's refreshing to read it that way. And I'll just say this this big passage is a burden, not refreshing to me. So I'm glad you started, for me, what's on the bright side of this uh, because – I think Jesus uh, uh, is the Christ of elaboration and deepening. And, you know, it's the the apostle side, when we get to that question, is going to, how does it collide or merge with the other, where it's apostolic discipleship? How does that work? Uh, And I'm just kind of making that up. How does that work? But for 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 the presence, for the understanding what's going on in a particular time and place, I am attracted to, the discipleship, and I guess the bill to set the stage for that is, I've I've spent a lot of time reading this, and I'm focused on others' behavior, 
Uh, and if I feel that way, maybe some other listeners feel that way too. I want to I want to evade this passage sometimes. Don't particularly feel comfortable, but it's because I think I'm looking at behaviors of others, and I may not like it. Uh, I mean, I, I may not like what the apostle uh, is doing, uh, and it makes me uncomfortable. And uh, and so this whole spectrum of apostle and disciple has this, and I'm just speaking for myself, just to get to the core of what this might be about is a first reading, second, third reading, this in the spectrum, this got confidence and calling in it, but lots of confidence, <laughs> lots of calling, lots of, and it resulted in a lot of legalisms over the first, the last 2,000 years. And on the other end of the spectrum, it's got people like me who are cautious and invasive on this. And I'm just admitting that to get deeper into the discussion. I've had some breakthroughs this week, but, you know, the listeners may be somewhere on that spectrum where, you know, it's, it's so confident, so clear. On the other end, I'm saying I'm looking at behaviors of others instead of myself, not turning light on myself and feeling really uncomfortable with it. But the starting point, I thank you for starting with discipleship, seeking time and place. And I think it's really, what does that lead to Christian discernment uh, about what's going on on any particular day? Thanks, Bill. Thank you, Don. And in a moment, I will basically springboard off of where you ended. Um, uh, Thank you for that. Um, As I worked on this, there's an obvious application as disciples, we are to study scripture and that's what this podcast is about. And that that's very important, but it occurred to me, this is stating the obvious Jesus taught and he preached in the synagogues. He taught the disciples to use our modern terminology I think the most powerful means of teaching that Jesus utilized was example. Yesterday, uh, the Palmasia Christian Church pastoral staff has a Monday morning Bible study. And yesterday it was our senior pastor, Reverend John Debevoise, and our new pastor with adult faith formation, Reverend John Ryder. And and John Debevoise made the point that it's surprising that we wait until the 10th chapter of Matthew before all the disciples are named. And he sort of left it there. And so I thought about that and I thought, yeah, because Jesus, first of all, taught by example. And every scholar I've read notes that in this passage, what Jesus is reported to do, healing, so forth, and casting out demons, is verbatim what he later tells them as apostles to do, and we'll, we'll get to that. So, again, it's the obvious, but the power of example. I had a church member who, like many people, had the mixed bag experience with church in the past, some painful um, and she would periodically say to me, Bill, the most powerful sermon I received from you is watching how you relate to people. Because she was a volunteer in the office and involved. And she said, I'm just going to periodically remind you of that. 
And I, I appreciated that. That That's a necessary reminder that the way our priorities, how we live, uh, is a matter of that. Now, at, again, to refer to Palmasia Preston Church, the current adult faith formation class is being led by Reverend John Ryder in a study of the book Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Warren, who is an Episcopal priest and author. And each chapter talks about a daily routine and how that might become a a liturgy experience and experience of faith formation. And she powerfully, especially in Sunday's class, the chapter, reminds us of the power of habits, rituals, and liturgy understood as the rhythm and patterns of our lives. And she invites us to pay attention to our daily habits and what they, how they may nurture us or distract us from the gospel. She challenges our addiction to um, electronics. She calls it electronic caffeine. <laughs> and as a coffee lover, <laughs> I, um, I resonate with that. Now, one other thing. Given the age in which we live and the atmosphere in this nation and in the world, I remembered something else Jesus taught us to be students of. Matthew chapter 16, the Pharisees and Sadducees came and they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Jesus answered them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red and in the morning, It will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. Here's the punchline. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. That's echoed in chapter 12 of Luke. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? I don't profess to be able to interpret the present time, but springboarding on where you ended, Don, I think we are to seek to learn how the gospel speaks to our real-life circumstances um, and examine whether or not the Spirit of Christ is really shaping us. Thank you. Now, apostles, uh, a reminder This is a different emphasis. One moves from being a student to being prepared to be sent out. And, in fact, we know the disciples did go out. And there are passages where they come back. Often it says they went out two by two. And they're surprised that they were able to preach, to heal, um, to to minister. So they were sent out. So, Don, I'll start with you. How do you understand the meaning of apostle, and how do you see yourself as an apostle? Well, I have to get rid of a lot of baggage because I can remember, you know, growing up and listening to uh, folks making it clear that uh, you can't be an apostle. I mean, I kind of come from that branch. It's like apostles are the people, and you see this in the letters, that had witness saw Christ and saw the risen Christ, and it was all this legalism that was stepping in there. But uh, I, I think it's meant to be uh, put together 
because, and you've pointed out that these are side by side very tightly in the passage, these two words. And even though we're using translation, uh, those are distinctive. Those are ancient words, and uh, they're side by side. So I am choosing apostolic discipleship <laughs> as a way to look at these things. But on the, on the apostle side, it's, it's, it is difficult. There, I think um, I'm going to go negative in order to get to a positive view. Uh, because, like you said, Bill, the world is filled with experiences and people, and uh, just we, if we're willing to go venture out and go through the, go through the doors and experience it, there's surprise and joy uh, wherever we go. You have to experience that to be able to see it. But with the apostolic side, the the problem I've had, and I'm saying it out loud, just in case there are folks listening in that may agree, uh, is this knowing, this certainty, this confidence that can get out of whack, <laughs> that can get off, get off the rail. I know, I know, I have the answer, uh, and and I think it distorts the reading, and and it, and I find myself watching other people, and behavior that I may not like, people that are uh, self-charged to go out into the world and and uh, and advance the church or advance mission. And I look and I don't like it. And, uh, and I think it's okay to say that out loud because um, it allows us to look at what I, apostolic discipleship might really look out. So, uh, and I mean, I'm going to say in a positive way, let's, let's put those two things together. The extreme apostolic that we, that we see and the extreme discipleship. And how do we put those together? So imagine two columns. And I'm going to go to extremes just to make a point. And column left would be the extreme apostolic, and the column to the right would be the extreme discipleship. And uh, so here we go. Charlatan service. Predation or plundering stewardship and help. Monetization versus ministry. Absolutism versus giving. Subjugation versus encouragement. Ownership versus building up. Marginalization versus healing. Self-prioritization versus selflessness, which goes to learning and taking initiative. And human beings can take initiative on both sides, but I think what this is emphasizing for me is the, the personal responsibility to not run away from this discussion that we're having, to not run away. And the analogy I want to provide is in the American justice system, we're charged to seek justice. On any given day, and I'm trained as an attorney, I don't practice, but I'm still an officer of the court, and I have certain responsibilities that I have to, I, I should meditate on. Uh, there's a code of professional responsibility that, I'm, that I am connected to, a code that is connected to uh, how we have an ordered society. And I'm using this as a soft analogy. But I, I am, I, I could on any given day look at what's going on in the justice system and listen to people and go, I don't be part of that. Uh, but the truth is a responsibility that I am not to do anything frivolous when it comes to the system. I'm to be thoughtful. I'm to be a learner. I'm to be a seeker. I'm to support no false claims. I must have meritorious claims, only, only meritorious claims. I must respect the decorum of the tribunal. 
I cannot disrupt the tribunal. I must, even to the extreme, outside the practice and being an officer of the court, I must speak with truth and candor to everybody, even outside the court system. And what I'm trying to get across is there's no in and out. There's no dividing line. I'm using this as a soft analogy. That That's always the case in whatever we do. And we can't parse the symbol. We can't separate these things. So I'm just turning this on myself going, all right, I could sit here and go, I see charlatanism. I see selfishness. I see monetization in terms of what's supposed to be the work of the Christ. Am I to say, well, that, therefore I'm out? And I think what I'm getting from this for the first time in my life is, the apostolic discipleship, the emphasis on the seeking and the learning is, no, that's not, your responsibility isn't to say no. Your responsibility is to reflect on your responsibility, your, your role with other human beings and the discovery of what we can do with community. Uh, and so it, it's a tough passage because confronting those things, I have to look at the darkness of my own heart where I, I, don't, I don't like people's behavior, but that doesn't mean I get to exit at all. You know, I've got the burden of figuring out what this kind of service really should look like. So those, those are, I'm sorry, a little long-winded there, but I've been thinking about this this week, and I appreciate the question. Uh, thank you. I sense your passion. Uh, thank you. Sarah, what do you understand an apostle to be, and how do you see yourself as an apostle? So if I'm sent, I'm sent to people who are experiencing modern-day demons, uh, people that are feeling helpless, people that are feeling powerless, I'm sent to them to provide encouragement, to be a shepherd if that's what I'm asked to do. Um, so I'm looking at people who are entangled with behaviors and patterns and structures that, that cause them to lose hope that caused them to feel helpless. Um, I got this, I, I have to say, the, um, the, the workingpreacher.org from June 15th, 2008, uh, from Greg Carey was helpful, as well as um, the post this week from uh, Cleophas J. LaRue, uh, both on workingpreacher.org. Um, People who are sent are not self-appointed because the harvest is God's and God is the Lord of the harvest. And um, made me think of Psalm 24. Um, I have to give credit where credit is due to um, a summer camp experience I had with uh, Reverend Tuggle. And Reverend Tuggle opened the whole week with Psalm 24 as a call and response. And he would call, the earth is the Lord's, and we would respond in everything therein. So with that as the backdrop and the foundation of that thinking, how do I personally respond? My words and deeds need to be in agreement. That's a lifelong pursuit. I'll just put it out there. I don't think that we step out of the womb with uh, agreement between our actions and our deeds and our words. So I will say that um, that that's the work of discipleship. And I like the apostolic discipleship notion um, because 
if we're all seeking, we're all seeking together. And there's something about that that's helpful. So my words and deeds need to be in agreement. There needs to be, I would say, no daylight between what one sees me do and what one hears me say. Um, That I need to speak the truth in love, which takes a remarkable amount of courage and tact and care. Um, If you don't care for the person you're speaking to, it's easy to speak harshly. It's easy to speak in a judgmental way and not in a loving way. And I think there's there's a big difference. Um, I need to be standing with those who are speaking the truth in love. Not not watching, not observing, but standing with. And I think there's a big difference in, in that in, in as much I mean we can look back at the church's history and see some of that in different moments of, of um, uh, I should say, in different fulcrum moments or moments of decision for the church as a body, whether it's World War II or whether it's Civil War. Um, those are both moments of inflection, I think, for the church. Um, and being willing to go and to let go of what might hold me back that might what forced me to define or to restrict or segregate or encumber somebody from going to where the harvest is. And it's not my job to hold people back and go, you're not, you're not acceptable. You're not dressed appropriately. You don't have the right, whatever um, understanding of that. It's not me that should be the sieve or the scree that keeps people from reaching toward the harvest. I'm supposed to be a signpost that points to the shepherd. And um, I need to go where the shepherd lists abide. I need to be welcomed and comfortable, maybe the right word, not welcomed, but comfortable going to where the shepherd lists abide, whether that's, as Jesus indicates, um, in prison, in hospital, in schools, in government, in all those places where the people who are feeling helpless are, and and where the Lord would direct, not where I would have the Lord direct me. Well said, Sarah. Uh, I sense passion in both of my colleagues, and I share in that. I think what I'm about to say basically echoes, in my own words, what I believe Don and Sarah say. And and Don, I resonate with your revulsion at the one of the columns, the monetization, uh, all those characteristics. My attention was really Velcroed to verse 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion for them. Eugene Peterson in the message paraphrases that verse. When Jesus looked out over the crowds, his heart broke. So confused and aimless they were, like sheep 
without a shepherd. It's a reminder that every group needs leaders, uh, hopefully healthy, shared leadership. But leadership is key to, to life. Um, I love this quote in Mark Davis's article on this passage and this verse. He says, I like how the verse is set up with Jesus, quote, having seen the crowd, end quote. He then goes on to say, Mark Davis, I wonder how many preachers would look out on a particularly crowded congregation and see the anxiety and pain that has drawn them there instead of imagining that her or his own charisma is the effective agent that brings them near. That, as I, that, my mind velcroed to that. I will tell you that when I first went in, uh, was ordained, I accepted a call to serve two congregations, a chapel community and the uh, mother church in Lumberton, North Carolina. I got to preach every Sunday at the chapel and assist in the people refer to it as the big church, the downtown church, and occasionally preach. Three or four weeks into preaching every week and people responding and affirming, and this chapel was in a very low-income community, I began to feel some angst. I, I was honest with myself. I like this. People see me as having some authority. They come to me for counsel. <laughs> Fortunately, I talked to some more experienced pastors and um, realized that that's a part of, of being a leader. But it, it, in some ways, surprised and shocked me that I was enjoying that. And I, I think my prayer life was that God would protect me from that and affirm all the things you said, Sarah, about God sent me. It's God. These are God's people. This is God's word. I'm just acknowledging that there is a real temptation in that. And I appreciate Mark Davis reminder. People are there because of their needs. They're not there to primarily celebrate the messenger, but they need to hear the message. And I've got a friend who is a director of a robust counseling service. Last year, their caseload went up 40%. In the first months of this calendar year, it has risen another 30%. He struggles to hire enough competent counselors and knowing that those who come are only a fraction of what's out there. We all are aware of increased anxiety, tension, suicide, violence. Uh, the pain is very real, and I agree with you, Don. That's what we are to focus on with the Spirit of Christ and Sarah speaking the truth in love, that whole uh, emphasis. 
Um, that's what it means to be an apostle. It's not about elevating me. It's about representing the Christ uh, whom we are called by. Another quick story, I may have told this. About a year into my first pastorate, I developed a friendship with a pastor who'd been ordained five or six years before me and was serving uh, a church uh, a bit away, but close enough we could meet in the middle for breakfast every now and then. And one day I said to him over breakfast, I don't know about this being the shepherd of the flock. It's an awesome responsibility. (laughs) He leaned forward and said, Bill, haven't you yet figured out that's not who we are? What do you mean? He said, Bill, we're not the shepherd. We are sheepdogs. Bill, what does a sheepdog do? It runs around the back of the flock taking instructions from the shepherd, Jesus Christ he said, Bill, is the shepherd, and you are and I are at best sheepdogs, running around barking, nudging, sometimes nipping at heels, but all to keep the flock's focus on the shepherd. And I've not done it perfectly, but that's been an image that I have sought to uh, embrace. Now, Don, looking at the time, there's a lot more we can go over. Let me make uh, one comment. Four minutes. Uh, okay. Let me address something, and we don't have time to get into it, but let's admit that this passage can be weaponized. This thing about go only to the Gentiles, don't go to a Samaritan city, shake the dust off your feet. Again, in a couple of minutes, I can't be comprehensive. I'll share some thoughts with you. Having said what we've already said, it is not to be weaponized. Therefore, what wisdom, what instruction might we take from those calls? First of all, that there are risks involved in ministry. You may be rejected. And especially Christians throughout history have been very adept at killing each other. Christians killed more Christians than the Romans did. I forget the numbers, but it's a staggering contrast. Um, It can be weaponized, and it should not be. I think of Romans chapter 12. I believe it's 18. If it is possible, as much as it lies within you, live at peace with everyone. And then shake the dust off your feet. For me, having rejected weaponizing it, it means not everybody is going to respond to me as a messenger or to the message I bring. And there's a, we are not to pressure people. We are not to force ourselves on people. And sometimes there are relationships in which It just doesn't work. Um, As a pastor, I had people come to me and, in effect, say, Bill, this is not my cup of tea. And I would thank them for coming to talk to me, have a prayer with them, assure them I still cared about them, and wish them well and encourage them to find another worship community. No one of us is everybody's uh, cup of tea 
again, this is a deep, powerful part of this passage, and I have not done it justice, but I do believe if we reject weaponizing, there is some wisdom that we accept that sometimes we need to just move on. So, Don, I'll hand it back to you, and thank you, colleagues, for this dialogue. And we've got like two two minutes here, so I'll take a quick bite. <laughs> and Sarah, you do the same. You can wrap it up, and we'll we'll finish up. Look, we're, we're all talking in the same zone, but a little different. And just for the listener, I, I am I am focused on the things that are in this and the fear of others that cause me to stand down. And I remember a leader early in my career, and I remember something came up, and I said, yeah, I'm really upset about it. This really bothers me. And I'm going to quote him. Really? You're upset? Really? Well, I'm really sorry. So you're not going to do anything here? You have a job to do? You know your responsibility to these people? You're upset? Really? And so what I'm getting out of this for the first time is to stay in. And I'm looking at my day, and there's a time place in terms of discipleship and learning that I've been given here. I can engage or not. But the one thing I'm getting out of this is, like, opting out just because isn't, isn't what this is about. Uh, and if I'm, I'm incensed or I'm repulsed by behaviors that are coming under the guise of this, that doesn't – that doesn't remove my responsibility to other people. And I can hear that mentor of the past going, really, you're upset. Well, good for you. Hey, you have a job to do. Sarah, how about you? How about wrapping up for us? Standing with the helpless. Holding strong to the truth in love are important. Sometimes you do have to say bless and release. I struggle when I see people inflicting morality on others that they perceive need morality. I struggle when a judgment is cast because somebody doesn't practice the faith the same way somebody else does. And I go, I I think that's wrong. And I have to say, you know, I believe that when we put God in a box, we lose. God is much bigger than any box I can put God in. God is not Presbyterian. God is not Baptist. God is not Muslim. God is not a Buddhist. God is bigger than all of that. God is the first they, and we learned that last week in our conversation with John Ryder. It was beautiful. The idea that God is much bigger than our meager human understanding of how things are. So my job is to point to that and go, are you going to tell God that that's the wrong way to do that? So I sometimes need to say, it's got to build the body up. It's got to build the body up. If if it doesn't build the body up and it tears the body down, I'm not sure And it takes me a long time to discern what actions I need to take in response to that. So a prayerful consideration, keep your eyes on the shepherd, so to speak, um, and and wait for instruction. Because sometimes the job is to lay down, to stay still, 
to wait for the sheep, to to understand better the course of action that the shepherd would in, indicate we should take. So um, stand with the shepherdless. Come alongside the helpless and the hopeless. That's all I can say. Thank you, Sarah. And on that note, we're out of time. Uh, Palmafia Presbyterian Church makes this podcast possible. They're at 3501 West San Jose. That's in Tampa, Florida. For more information, you can go to palmafia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A dot org. We always commend that site to you for great sermons, discussions of the lectionary, other scripture, disagreements, prayers, uh, the opportunity to take communion, outstanding music, and many more uh, opportunities. So check that out. And you are always welcome, and we will see you next time.